Welcome to the Village Church Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and taking the time to listen. We've prayed that this podcast channel blesses and encourages the Village family. So lean in with an open heart, eager to grow, and enjoy the episode. Well, good morning. So I get the privilege of speaking about, um, continue to speak about spiritual disciplines. We're in a seven-week series and learning about those things that God has given us as what we often refer to as means of grace, those things that God encourages us to do as a way of him pouring out his grace upon us. So I actually thought, um, because we get to all be in together, kids, you get to be in today, which I'm hugely excited about, and parents, we get this opportunity to help disciple our kids. I have some props today to help the parents. Do kids, do you you guys like uh, object lessons? Do you guys like props when you're uh, in kids' church? Well, I've got a few props here for us that is going to be really helpful. So spiritual disciplines. One of the ways that I think is helpful to think of spiritual disciplines is sowing into our spiritual lives. God gives us the instruction in Galatians chapter 6, verse 8, when he says, He who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But then he gives us some instructions. He says, But he who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So think of, when you think spiritual disciplines, think sowing into my spiritual life. I know if you're driving around this time of year, you see all the maize fields and corn fields getting ready to harvest. And we say that farmers grow things. You ever say that? Farmers grow things. But the reality is, farmers don't grow things. God grows things. Because even the very best farmer can't make anything grow. But what does a farmer do? Farmer prepares the soil, gets the seed, and places the seed into the soil. It puts the seed where it can be in a place to grow. It fertilizes it. The farmer waters it. And then he must wait for the natural forces as God created to cause that seed to grow. Think of spiritual disciplines as sowing into our spiritual life, being put in, putting ourselves in a place so God can cause us to grow. The spiritual disciplines of, of confession and repentance and celebration and word and fasting that I'm going to talk about today and all the others are of no value in and of themselves. Watering a seed is no, of no value in and of itself. Unless, but it, if it waters it and God causes it to grow, sowing, spiritual disciplines are us being play, placing ourselves in the soil so God can cause us to grow. It's God's way of getting us into the ground. Now, you might say, well, does that mean God can't grow us if we don't practice these spiritual disciplines? Well, God can do anything God wants because he's God. But like uh, you've seen grass grow in the gutters and trees grow on tiny little rocky cliffs with no soil. So God can make something grow even if it's not where he desires it to be or it's ideal conditions. But if you notice that grass in gutters kind of has a, has a shelf life, it does, it's not productive. It's not doing what grass is supposed to do. Trees on the side of cliffs with no soil, yeah, they can grow, but they're kind of stunted in growth and don't produce, they're not fruitful. I would suggest the same as our lives. God will continue us to grow us because he's God. But if we place ourselves in the soil, if we sow into our spiritual lives, be amazed at what God will do as part of this means of grace. So... As you're planting your winter crops of peas and everything else, think, oh, what am I sowing into my spiritual life? What am I sowing into my spiritual life at this time? What, 
What disciplines is God asking me to put into place so that I can sow into my spiritual life? Why? So that I might reap spiritual growth, might actually bear fruit in my spiritual life. Pardon me. So I want to speak about fasting as one of those disciplines, one of us sowing our lives, sowing into our spiritual lives. And, and fasting, you can't say fasting without prayer. Prayer and fasting go together like, like, like ice cream and chocolate sauce. You can't eat ice cream. If, 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 if prayer is ice cream, you can, eat, you, can, you can pray without fasting. You can have ice cream by itself. But you can't really have fasting by itself without the prayer. You don't just, like, take a bottle of chocolate sauce. I hope you kids don't. Take a bottle of chocolate sauce out of the, out of the cupboard and just chug that, do you? No. We can't fast without prayer. So when I say fasting, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on the fasting element because, but, but always think fasting with prayer. Fasting and prayer go together. Like Forrest Gump said, like peas and carrots. All right? So, and now, and the reason I, I feel to, to focus on fasting, and even Simon highlighted it in the, in the prayer meeting this morning, fasting is not something that typically comes to us naturally as a discipline. Um, and I can't think of a time in the almost eight years that we've been part of the village church that we've taught or preached on the subject of fasting. And I think if we did a survey of the room, don't worry, we're not going to, and asked how frequently or what, what, what is the rhythm of fasting in your life, not including the time between you go to bed and when you get up in the morning, I'm not counting that, how frequently is fasting part of our spiritual disciplines? I'm going to suggest not that many of us. And I put myself in that category. Now, that's not just us here at the Village Church. I would suggest from my research and um, conversations that most traditions of the church in the West, so here in New Zealand, Australia, Canada, America, England, the majority of church traditions in Western countries currently have, if you will, neglected this discipline for probably most of the last century. And that, puts, and that makes us the odd ones out. That makes us in the West the odd ones out, not just with all of church history of 2,000 years, but even puts us at odds or makes us the one that sticks out compared to the church in Asia, Africa, Middle East, Eastern Europe, where the majority of Christians alive today still live. So the majority of Christians in the world still practice fasting regularly. We in the West are kind of the odd ones out. And I think there's a whole range of reasons for that, which we don't have time to get into today. But the encouragement is, it is a good practice of us sowing into our spiritual lives. So let's talk about fasting. First of all, Jesus, well, fasting is anticipated for followers of Jesus. It's not commanded. Nowhere in the scriptures, in the New Testament, does God command fasting. But it is anticipated by God that followers of Christ will fast. First of all, Jesus modeled fasting. So if you're like, oh, why, why should I fast as a Christian? What's the benefit? Well, Jesus did it. And we are, as Christians, the definition of a Christian is one who follows Jesus, who, with the help of the Holy Spirit, does what Jesus did. So 
Jesus modeled fasting for 40 days in the wilderness. You can read about that in Luke 4. And it just so happens we're in that season of fasting that many church traditions celebrate as Lent, which is fasting or abstaining from something, giving up something for the period of 40 days leading into Easter to identify with Jesus as we look forward to celebrating and commemorating his death, burial, and resurrection. So Jesus fasted. I still remember my grandfather. He gave up smoking all my life. As I, from the, my youngest memory, I remember my grandfather gave up smoking for Lent. I thought, Gramps, if you can do it for 40 days, why, why take it up again? But he did. But he did. But fasting specific, and we'll talk specifically, I want to talk fasting in terms of giving up food. But it's enough of a reason that Jesus did it for us to desire to do it as well. But also, Jesus spoke about fasting in a way that he just kind of anticipated that his followers would fast. Um, Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, so affectionately referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus speaks about three things in a way that it just kind of like doesn't command it, but he's like, well, this is probably, this this is something I anticipate you doing as my disciples. Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, it says, when you give. And most of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, we go, yeah, Christians are a giving people. We're generous to those around us. We would say amen to that. And then in verse 5, it says, Jesus says, when you pray. Not if you pray. He kind of anticipates that his followers would be people of prayer. And again, most of us would say amen. And then in verse 16, he says, when you fast. And there's like the sound of crickets in the room. Nobody says anything. Jesus anticipates that we'll be a people who give, we'll be a people who pray, and we'll be a people who fast. And a little bit further along, if you, if you turn in your Bible a couple of pages over to Matthew chapter 9, Jesus specifically is asked about fasting by the disciples of John, well, by the Pharisees and the disciples of John that are there. And Matthew chapter 9, verse 14 and 15 says this then the disciples of john came to him saying why do we and the pharisees fast but your disciples do not fast and jesus said to them can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast they will fast that's like we're in that period now and i don't believe he's just talking about those three days he was in the tomb when the bridegroom is gone Jesus is the bridegroom. Fasting is something that followers of Jesus do. And I might go, well, why? Why why are we a people that give? Why are we a people who pray? Why are we a people who fast? Does God need us to give our money away? Well, no, he owns everything. Does God need us to pray and tell him the situation in our lives or the needs that we have? Well, no, he knows everything. God knows our innermost thoughts. That's a humbling thought in itself. So does God need us to pray? No. Does God need us to not eat when we fast? No. But I believe God does know us because he made us, that he knows that if we only do the things we want to do, that those things have a habit of getting in the way of of us keeping God first in our lives. So when we give, when we pray, when we fast, when we do these actions that we deliberately do, something that we we might not want to do, 
Has anyone ever been, well, you can not show your hands if you'd like, but have you ever been prompted by God to give generously to someone or something where it was going to be painful financially for you? Like, oh, I had plans for that money, but I feel God leading me to give that, that away or that, or that whatever it is in your house that God is prompting you to give. And you're like, well, I'd really prefer not to, God. But in the giving, we realize and we demonstrate not only to God, but to ourselves what's most important to us. That's why they're called disciplines. Doing these things, including fasting, are powerful reminders to us of what's really important. I love how Abraham Lincoln put it. Discipline is choosing between what you want now and what you want most. The discipline of fasting is the discipline of, well, I want food now. But what I want most is to sow into my spiritual growth so I can grow up into who Jesus is. Now, when I say fasting, I mean specifically giving up food by choice and sometimes drink, so even giving up water, for a set period of time, longer than you normally would, such as when you're sleeping. And it's different than, and we often talk about fasting social media or fasting something else, but the definition of fast is to go without food. Do you know, what's the first meal of the day called? Breakfast. Breakfast. So fasting, now you can abstain. So abstain means to give up. You can give up social media or Xbox or TV or ice cream or a favorite toy, and that is a good thing to do. But it's different than fasting than going without food. And when we give up those things like social media or Xbox, we can, and it's a good thing to give, spend that time rather focused on God, and that's a good thing. But it's not the same thing as going without food because we need food to survive. And contrary to popular belief, you will not die without Instagram. Contrary to popular belief of certain age groups or Fortnite or whatever that thing is that you, we are, that's a good thing to abstain from something, but fasting does something different. Fasting, I don't know who said this originally, but fasting is a bodily practice of denying ourselves food that humbles the soul. Remember, we're sowing, we're planting our lives, we're doing things that put us in a place where God can grow us. Fasting is a body pra- bodily practice that humbles the soul. David knew this. He wrote in Psalm 69, he said, when I afflicted or humble my soul with fasting. Giving up food for a period of time is an f- act that affects us spiritually. Now, if I, I, uh, we're going to celebrate 25 years later in the year, which is exciting, but it's, it was my birthday just in January, and I'm only 25 years old. That was my second birth. I came to know Christ on the 18th of January, um, 1999, and everything's been different since then. So I'm 25 years old. And I, maybe if you've been walking with Jesus and following Jesus for a long time, you're comfortable, and I'm quite comfortable with the idea of seeking God with my mind and approaching God with my mind, studying his word with my heart, through my emotions. But, and, and I do those with disciplines like the word and solitude and silence um, and submission. But, and, those, and all the other disciplines involve our body, but the voluntary choice to go without food that our body needs reinforces to me that there's no division or separation between our physical bodies and our spirit. 
We experience everything as body, soul, mind, and spirit. We're one being that God created us. So fasting is approaching God through my stomach with, with, with another part of my whole self that God asks us to approach him and worship him with. Romans 12, verse 1 says, I appeal, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, including our stomachs, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. When Jesus was asked what the most important commandment was, he quoted Deuteronomy when he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength, or all your might. Us giving, deliberately giving up food is part of offering our body to God, is, is approaching God with our whole self in a way that I would suggest we in the West as a whole don't think about consciously and actively do. And I said before that fasting with prayer is the key. And I love the way Andrew Murray puts this. He says, fasting is the one hand with which we let go of the visible. So we let go of food, we stop eating. And prayer, while fasting, is the other hand with which we take hold and, if you will, grab the invisible. We're sowing to our spiritual life. And to do that, we have to let go of something in our physical life. And in this case, is food. And can I suggest that when we do that, we experience something of what Jesus did. Something of what Jesus did when he said, when he, in, when he was tempted in the wilderness, after 40 days, he was hungry, he said, and the, and the tempter came to him and tempted him. And he said, hold on, man does not live on bread alone. Quoting Deuteronomy again, but he lives on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And again, in John chapter 4, when the disciples had gone into town to get something to eat, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman. He hasn't eaten, hasn't drank anything. The disciples come back and said, hey, Lord, eat something. And he says, no, no, no. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Fasting confirms to ourselves, to our spirit, way beyond words of our total dependence upon God. It's for our spiritual health that we do it, and it confirms to us. Now, I have one more prop for us, kids. Can I have that picture, please, up there? Who likes donuts? Okay, no, there's only a few honest people in the room. Very good. A few honest people in the room. Very good. Everybody likes donuts. What's that? The holes are the best thing for you. In Canada, we cut those out, and they sell them as well, so you can buy them. So I want to talk about the focus of fasting just as we kind of come into land. The key focus of fasting... Well, the thing to remember is that fasting is not a formula. Fasting is not just a mathematical equation that I'm going to take away food. God, I'm taking away food, and I want to just add you. It's not just a formula of minus food plus God, and we get a result. It's not a hunger strike. We're not trying to, if you will, bribe God. Okay, we'll ask for a show of hands for honesty. Who has ever tried to bribe God? God, if you'll only do this, I'll do this, or I'll stop doing that. Fasting is not bribing God. Fasting isn't saying, I'll give up donuts, God, if you'll only just do X, Y, Z. God answers prayer because he's our heavenly father and we're his children 
and he adopted us through the blood of Christ. That's why God answers our prayer. We not have to give something up to try to convince God to answer our prayers. There were some honest kids there that said they like donuts. You guys get to share those. You're like, giving donuts away when on a subject of fasting. Well, every time you have a donut, you'll think, oh, when did I fast last? Fasting is a way to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. It is a way of seeking God with our whole self. Jeremiah, God says through Jeremiah that you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And can I suggest all of our stomach, our whole self? The main focus of fasting is God himself. The Israelites used to fast for a period. They used to fast in the fifth and the seventh month. And God said through Zechariah, he said, when you fasted in those months for 70 years while they're in the wilderness, was it for me that you fasted? The encouragement for us, and when we're considering fasting as a spiritual discipline, what are we fasting for? We're fasting for God. We're fasting so that God might be at work within us. Must be the person of God at the center of our seeking. All other focuses are secondary because the risk is if those other focuses, and I'll put some up here in just a second as we close, all those other focuses, the risk is we can start to love the blessing more than the one who gives the blessing. Our focus in fasting is Spiritual growth, growing up into Christ. Now, there are specific things that happen as we fast, and God does, but the focus is on God himself. Can I have that um, last slide up, please? There's, uh, no, not that one, the second last one, that one. Focus of fasting. When you read through the scriptures, there's a number of things that you see in the scriptures of secondary focuses of fasting. Personal obedience, that God calls people to fast. And can I say that's a personal obedience? If God calls you to fast, then my encouragement, if God encourages you to do something, do it. Do it. Um, you can fast for perspective. You need, you need God's direction on something? Again, seeking him through fasting. Do you need the power of God? And again, there's only one Um, reference to it in the Gospels that Jesus speaks on the connection between prayer and fasting and the casting out of demons. I wish Jesus would have given us a couple of pages on that, but he didn't. But there is a clear indication from from Jesus that the power for spiritual warfare is accessible from God through fasting. Protection, again, the whole people of God called to fast in different circumstances, you can look at those scriptures. Two things that I want us to talk about just really practically is provision for the poor. The early church, for hundreds of years, Christians used to fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. Wednesday, the day that Jesus was betrayed, and Friday, the day that Jesus died. Fasted for spiritual reasons, but also for very practical reasons. They had no winds office. There was no social safety network. The church was called to care for the community around them. It's a very practical way, and I just felt convicted of this. It would be a helpful thing for us as a church to understand is provision for the poor. It's like, I want to be able to do more to give more to those that are in need. Well, think about how much you spend on a daily budget for food. 
And you're like, well, I'd like to be able to give more. Well, if we fasted, I could practically give those funds to somebody else. Not only do I spend that time that I would normally be preparing food in prayer and in seeking God, not only does my body remind me that I need God, but actually is a practical outworking. And a second thing is participation in mourning. Job's friends, the very first thing they did, now it doesn't say they fasted, but in Job chapter 2, they came, saw the state of Job, and they sat, they tore their robes, and sat in the dust and mourned with him. We typically try to placate or satiate our grief with food. We, we, when, some, when something sad happens in a household, we generally take carbs and sweets. And it satisfies something of our physical need. But have you ever been really sad? The loss of a loved one? Sudden grief over or, or, or severe anger over an injustice? You don't even want to eat. But oftentimes we don't listen to our bodies. Can I suggest sowing to our spiritual life? Sowing so we might indeed reap spiritually? Fasting to participate in grief is a great way to consider doing that. All right? I've gone a bit longer than I anticipated this morning. One thing as we close. There's all kinds of practical things, and if you've never fasted before, can I encourage you, come and see me, Angus, Dave. Um, check out the Life Group study notes on the app for some practical tips. But one thing when you consider fasting or if you're going to start, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if you feel less spiritual or less holy through the process. You, find your, you might find yourself getting angry, and you're like, oh, this is just hangries because I'm hungry and I'm angry. But then, if you actually consider for a moment, you might just discover, well, no, you're angry, not because you're hungry, but because you have anger in your heart. And God's highlighting that to draw your attention to it, to deal with it, to bring it to him through confession and repentance. You might, you think, oh, I'm fasting so that I feel closer to God, and you might not, but that's part of spiritual growth. That's part of God dealing to things in our life. It is a good thing to be reminded of our dependence upon God. It reminds us in a new way. Physical hunger, as we fast, reminds us in a new way that we cannot be our own Savior. It reminds us afresh that we are completely dependent on the mercy and the grace of God. That it's only through Jesus coming and taking our sins upon himself that we can approach God in any way. And thanks be to Christ, he has paid the debt that we could not. He died the death that we deserve. And through faith in his life and death and resurrection, we enter eternal life now. Fasting will remind us afresh in a new and I'd say just deeper way of our need and our dependence on God. A lot of the things I was going to say, but can I invite you to your feet, please? I found, I found this as I was preparing and thinking about prayer and fasting. On, uh, four years ago, we, did, um, we, we taught and practiced the Lord's Prayer. So I'm going to lead us and uh, just we'll pray the way Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, and deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.